Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPOpod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to the next topic. Throw us up. Zach, we're, why don't you get all... us going and start introducing Gary? Can you introduce yourself for, yeah, for absolutely. the listeners, please? Yeah. Hey, everyone. We're starting, yeah? Yeah. Hey, everyone. Um, my name is Dr. Gary Schliffer. I'm an internal medicine physician. Um, I have a private medical practice here in Woodland Hills. I started about four years ago. Uh, in the process, I got connected with a guy, probably a lot of your listeners know, Brian Sanders, who's the creator of Food Lies documentary. Um, together, we developed a company called Sapien. And there, our goal is to promote... Basically, uh, you could call it an ancestral lifestyle, a primal lifestyle, um, very much uh, focused on nutrition and kind of teaching people how to get back to our roots. Um, it's really changed my entire approach to medicine as I've gone through this process over the last three years. Um, I practice completely differently than really I was trained. I mean, I still do a lot of the Western medicine stuff that I was trained in my internal medicine residency. But um, a lot of it is inspired by you, Sean. I think a couple of years ago when you went on Joe, uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, you really opened my eyes, I'm sure many, many others. And um, yeah, that's where I'm at now. I'm, I'm getting into the public eye. I've been doing a lot of podcasts, uh, working on a book. We're working on our, on our documentary. And uh, yeah, I'm just having a really fun time being a part of the community and, and sharing it with all my patients. I'm excited to be here. Awesome, Gary. Yeah, I mean, I because I, I know you from Instagram is Gary Evolve, and I'm not sure where the evolve comes from, but maybe it's an evolutionary approach to medicine, which a lot of people are kind of kind of adopting. But uh, is there something uh, behind else behind yeah. that? Yeah. So before I ever got into this, I mean, I love that that's your interpretation. Um, yeah, I started my medical practice and I called it Evolve Healthcare. It sounded cool at the time. I didn't really have that many. Uh, it wasn't that deep, I guess. Um, but Maybe it was a little bit of foreshadowing because, yeah, it's definitely my, my practice has evolved dramatically. And, um, yeah, I kind of use my tagline, evolve your health now because, it, yeah, <laughs> it's fun. Um, it's been a really exciting time in the last few years to just – I can't imagine what it's been like for you. I know you practice medicine a long time. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's surprising to me how different – what I do now is compared to what I was trained to do. Yeah. And I, I, I know that, uh, and maybe we'll get into this and, and there's a lot of, uh, I mean, for, there's a lot of, I mean, not, not to sort of knock physicians. I mean, I think most physicians are hardworking and have their best intentions for the patient, but I think the healthcare system in general has a lot of, uh, problems, particularly when it comes to chronic disease. I mean, I, I, I've now kind of euphemistically started calling it the disease management industry because I mean, we are disease managers and I mean, all we do mm -hmm. is, rotate pills and deal with side effects and, you know, change doses up and down, you know, particularly when you're, 
in a non-procedural base, especially I was in, a, I was in a very, I was in a very heavy procedure, heavy base, especially orthopedics where, I mean, we're getting paid to cut people open and, and crank as many surgeries as we possibly can. I mean, that's what the hospitals love to see. And when I kind of started questioning that and went away from that, that didn't go very well and didn't, didn't work very well in my favor for that, for that particular, especially, but internal medicine, I mean, you know, certainly it's, you know, you, you, you know, you're solving problems. It's more, I mean, you see that nutrition would probably pay, be more widely accepted in internal medicine, but, but no, no one really knows anything about it, really. I mean, people still think, ah, nutrition has very little to do with disease. I mean, I am, I am shocked to see that physicians, you know, I don't know that they don't, they don't know that nutrition has something to do, but they feel it's not their job. You know, I, 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 you know I'm not training that. Give, go, go see the dietician. Uh, I, I'm going to give you pills. And, and I think to me that's a very sad reflection on our medical training and medical system in general when, you know, we are probably the most influential people on someone's health outside of their own personal being. You know, I think people should be taking more ownership of their own health. But I mean, if you're going to ask who's going to influence your health besides yourself, then it's probably going to be your physician. And if your physicians are saying, I'm clueless about nutrition, I don't care, go see a dietitian, then, then I think that's a, that's, a, that's a big problem. Anyway, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, not, not only, not only are, do they kind of separate themselves from nutrition, but they're very resistant to new information coming their way. And um, it's been really challenging because I'm, I'm a young guy. I've just been out of training for four years now. And when I was uh, the first few years as I was getting into this, um, I was in the hospital a lot. And there, there's tons of physicians of all varying ages. And I started kind of talking about ketogenic metabolic therapy, meat as a, as a source of health instead of this vilified scary thing that it really was during my training and the resistance i got especially from a lot of the older physicians was shocking and it wasn't just oh this isn't our field it was this can't be right and i'm, I'm not hearing this and um yeah i, I think it's the resp our responsibility to really educate people educate each other educate our patients but certainly Something, something about the training process, something about the actual medical education separates us from nutrition, separates us from this idea that we can intervene in people's lives like that. Is it that I'm trained to be a drug dealer? I, you know, a lot of people in the internal medicine world kind of suggest that like, hey, we're drug, you know, we're drug doctors on some level, um, maybe. Um, I don't know. I have a lot of conspiracy theories about it, but I do worry that a lot of it is just archaic ideas that are so, so anchored into our training and people go through training. They're very, um, there's a lot of fear mongering. I don't know if that's what your experience was, but during my training, there's just a lot of fear mongering. You're going to get sued. You know, you're going to hurt someone. You're going to do something bad. So stay in line, do what you're told, follow the recommendations. And throughout the whole training, I was, always pushing against that. I was, I'm a scientist, you know, I'm supposed to question everything. And that wasn't encouraged. And in fact, I was discouraged, especially during residency. I was discouraged of asking questions and challenging the status quo. I, I got into multiple arguments, if you want to call it that, with nutritionists, dietitians, and my attendings about what the heck are we doing ser serving these people insurers? They're just chock full of chemicals and sugar. No, they weren't having it, you know? So, it took a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot to even get me to let go of all that. And um, again, your, your episode on Joe was, was inspiring. There's been a lot of different books I've read, um, even, even um, like uh, the magic pill. You know, I, I just recently spoke with Pete Evans and something as simple as a, 
documentary like that. It really it struck a chord with me. Hey, there's other people frustrated and trying to help educate people. And, you know, for, I consider myself a pretty open-minded guy and, and it took a lot to get me to change my practice, change my approach. Um, I can't imagine what it's going to take to get more and more physicians on board, you know? And so I've kind of committed myself to, to putting myself in the public eye. You know, um, there's you know, a lot of kind of exposure that comes with this. You know, I'm sure you got a lot of pushback from our colleagues on what you're doing. And, you know, with a medical license and a, and a thriving medical practice, it's, uh, it's a little scary, but I, I just, it's the right thing to do. It's, it, to me, it's become such a no brainer. And I'm so excited to have this guy right here with me. And I, I haven't dove in yet. I just got my copy, but I mean, things like this, they're super meaningful, Sean. What you're doing is super powerful. I think, you know, when we look back on history, we're going to see that this was a very powerful movement against something that I consider very scary, which is this whole vegan, vegetarian, like kind of pummeling us with this, these ideas in, in our current, you know, media landscape. And so, you know, I'm worried for our colleagues, kind of back to your question. I'm worried for, for, for how we're, how unwilling they are to sort of open their mind. And um, simultaneous, I'm excited. I'm excited because I found this community. There's lots of smart doctors and scientists and athletes like your, you guys that are really promoting what, what I consider to be um, a healing lifestyle, a lifestyle that's going to save people from, from kind of the society we're building, which is, is not healthy. I mean, on so many levels, not just nutrition, right? Like I know we're, we're both focused on nutrition, but you know, our approach to exercise, our approach to mindfulness, our approach to drug therapy is completely screwed up. And uh, I see it, it's all connected. Um, our sapien, the concept of sapien. So you guys uh, for, haven't heard of us on sapien.org. Uh, me and Brian put together basically all of our ideas on thinking and, and lifestyle and it's all connected. And, um, you know, I hope, I hope more and more people will join our cause. Yeah, Gary, um, a couple things, cause, uh, you mentioned a lot of interesting stuff there. And, you know, one thing I've been asking a lot of the doctors and professors that we've had on the show recently is just kind of this idea of when I look at from, from a non-professional standpoint, when I look at the landscape of like health and nutrition, well, one of the things that I see as kind of being a problem is we always kind of want to get to this point where we know, okay, here is the, the direction to go. This is the one-stop shop for anyone who's looking for health and fitness. Uh, in, and then, you know, mentioned documentaries and, you know, I think I like documentaries, but I think when they're viewed the right way, that's when they're maybe the most impactful versus detrimental. And ultimately what I've kind of come to is like, it seems to me that we almost need to be instead of saying like having all these different camps where it's okay, our way is the only right way. And then start trying to poke holes into all the problems with some of the other approaches is say, okay, here we have a, a list of approaches that have shown to be, be usable in some shape yeah. or form. So now you have like this list of options available to you and then have the professional sit down with someone and look at their lifestyle, look at, you know, what they're trying to get, what their biggest roadblocks historically has been from a nutritional standpoint, and then find something within the realm that works for them. So they walk away with kind of a list of potential options versus mm -hmm. if you can't do this, you're kind of, you know, you're screwed. Or if you 
if you struggled with this in the past, you're not doing it right. That kind of mentality that I think is just kind of almost pushing people into like a, a negative mindset versus a positive mindset. And then, you know, you lose hope in that you just give up and then you just go back to the standard American diet or whatever's available, which, you know, when you go in a grocery store, you see what's available and it's, it's mostly stuff that's probably going to, if it unchecked is going to lead people down the wrong way. Yeah. I mean, um, so many things there. I, I think this idea of this perfect human diet, right. Is what you're getting after it. That's a dynamic thing. Everyone's different and um, your life changes. And so even your diet should change. I, I listened to your recent podcast with Joe. And I think that that's really what I took away from it is, Hey, even during your training, right? You're constantly changing it up. You're being thoughtful about what you're putting in your mouth. Basically. I think that we've, we try to do a simple answer for everything and people and, and take the, the consciousness out of eating. And that works great for food companies because when you sell really palatable, highly caloric nutrient deficient foods, you make a lot of money when people are just mindlessly purchasing things. So, you know, I'm with you on that. Um, when it, like when it comes to all this stuff, the, you know, I have to bring it up. This recent, uh, the recent debate that happened between Chris Kresser and the guy who made the Game Changers, it's like they were, they were arguing about all these little, little subtle things about whether meat is good or bad or plants are good. But ultimately, everyone agrees that we need to eat real food, whole foods, things that are nutritious for our bodies. And we shouldn't eat these poisonous GMO, um, you know, kind of grain-based diet. And so we say standard American diet, but really we're, we're being pushed these, these really kind of nutrient deficient foods and, and things that aren't real. You know, I always teach my patients, like just eat real food. If you don't know what the name of that chemical is, don't put it in your mouth. You know what real food is. It's, it's kind of simple on some level, but when we argue about whether how much meat is good or is meat good or how many plants are good and should you eat nightshade? We're in, we're in the weeds and I understand in our world, that's somewhat fun even to debate, I think for a lot of us, we like to get into the science of it and figure out what, what evidence is out there. But I think for the general public, for my general patient population, we have to have an approach that's much more, hey, there's a million great options, but you know what's not a great option? Eating this fake bullshit junk food that's being fed to us in our grocery stores. When you go to work and it's in, you're in the break room, every, every one of my patients, like there's donuts and pizza and it's all just, it's not plants or meat, it's grains and sugar and processed food versus everything else that we're talking about. So I do, you know, I do think that as we're kind of, all of us are developing our different approaches to, you know, we are trying to educate our, our followers, our patients. There is this common commonality amongst all of us, even in the vegan vegetarian world that, Hey, we're, we're trying to help people live a better life and not be so miserable from the food that we're putting in our body. And there's a lot of things that we agree on. And I, I think what you're say, suggesting is we should all like lean into the agreements and share and be positive and try to help each other. And, uh, and I agree, you know, like we really, really need to do that. And, and the, uh, you know, the carnivore community, the low carb community, all of the, it's all one thing. And we're all just trying to help people live a better life. 
And, yeah. and I really hope more people hear that message and connect with each other instead of all this like civil war infighting, which doesn't, it doesn't help anyone. Yeah, I think, you know, when, when you, like you said, when you lean into the points of agreement, I think in terms of health and nutrition, that's the big step forward. And then like the next maybe smaller step forward, but still probably a productive step forward is finding out within the context of what we agree with, what approach is going to work best for you to get to where you want to be? Is that carnivore? Is that, you know, like a Nutrivore type of diet? Is that a paleo diet? Is it a vegan vegetarian approach? And like looking at it as like, here's kind of that secondary thing to do after you've already understood, like, let's get rid of some of the, the stuff that we all know and agree are not going to be productive for you long-term. And also the idea that it changes even within a person, like I did carnivore. I loved it. It did a lot of great things for me. I'll, I'll do carnivore again. There'll be times in my life where I'll still use it. It's in a powerful tool. You know, there's, it's just this idea. It's, this is a dynamic thing. And probably in our mm -hmm. ancestry, in our history, it was always a dynamic thing. We our diet always changed depending on the season, depending on how life went. And, you know, we've lost that. We've lost that relationship with food we, we we just buy boxed stuff that's plastic wrapped and and follow little recipe guides it's 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 sad food is a culture food is in our dna and we need to understand it more and we need to educate people more on it and um, we we really have done a bad job if if i as a doctor as an internal medicine specialist left residency after 15 years of training with honestly, little to no knowledge about nutrition. I had no idea who Weston A. Price was. I had no idea what ketogenic metabolic therapy was. They never brought up any of that. It was a well-balanced diet to include heart-healthy grains over and over and over and over again. And that's a big problem. Gary, I, I, I certainly agree with you on, on everything you said about, you know, we got to get rid of the junk. And the question for, well, I mean, the difficulty is, you know, people, it's very hard for them to get away from that. I mean, it's very much, uh, you know, I, I do think there's a, there's a, you know, if you want to call it addiction or not, but I mean, people are compelled to eat this stuff and it's, and certainly it's ubiquitous. You can't get away from it. And so what I have seen, you know, and, and I think it's a very important concept, this relationship with food. And I talk to people about when they embark upon a carnivore diet, the main goal is just to change your relationship with food. However you end up, I think. I think that particular dietary strategy really, because it's so restrictive, it really forces you to change that relationship. You're, you know, the only time you're eating is, you know, for nutrition basically, and it, and it kind of teaches you that. And then wherever you end up in the end, I think you come out better because you, 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 you just kind of change that relationship. But I find that, you know, we've got all these dietary strategies, but the two, the two commonalities for failure, at least in my, my opinion and my, my experience is, you know, if you're hungry all the time and you don't enjoy the food, you know, you're going to have a really hard time not eating the Oreos or the ice cream, yeah. you know, because I'd rather eat ice cream than eat something that's not palatable, not very satiating. Uh, and, and, and I'm going to be hungry all the time. So, I mean, and, and, and I'm a pretty disciplined person, uh, you know, as far as athleticism and, and, you know, training and stuff like that. But I can imagine there's a lot of people that don't have much discipline. And it's very easy just to say, I'd rather just eat the food and, and you know, tickle my taste buds. And, uh, you know, I, I don't really that's all that I care about. So how do we get away? How do we, how do you in your practice change that, that, that sort of, that, that sort of relationship with food with your clients? Yeah. I think a lot of it comes to talking about emotions, right? A lot of this is 
people eat to make themselves feel better. People eat because that's always been a way that they can control something that's difficult in their lives. People's relationship with food is not about nutrition. It's about what can I do to make myself feel better? Hey, it's lunch break. I'm, it's time to have the snacks, you know, in between lunch, lunch and before I leave, I need something to make me feel better. A lot, so emotional. So a lot of what I do is I talk to them about different ways they can control their lives and different ways they can improve their mood, right? Um, okay, exercise is an obvious one, but you know, a lot of my recommendations, we talk about minimal effective dose training. We talk about, I, I literally, I have extensive conversations about running re regimens with my patients. I don't think physicians are doing that regularly and they should. I've had to teach myself about exercise. And, and so that's one way to make yourself feel better and not be dependent on food to, uh, to, to feel better. Um, I talk about fasting a lot. Um, we talk about mindfulness practices, everything from meditation to therapy to psychedelic medicine. I'm pretty, I've really, I'm in California. Um, so it's a little open from, you know, I, I use marijuana to get people off of addictive substances like benzos and opiates. I'm okay with that. Um, I'm really passionate about kind of this movement that we have with psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. And I think that's gonna really open doors for people. And I see a huge connection here. Um, food, especially food companies and the way we market food has hijacked our pleasure centers. Um, all these processed foods, especially the grains and sugars, they really, it is addiction. Like I know you kind of implied, I think it's, it's very clearly an addictive process. And how do you help them separate from that? You give them other options. You give them different lifestyle things that are inspiring and passionate. I share books, I share podcasts, I share inspirational stories. Like it's about building that interpersonal, you know, experience with the patient, um, it's actually makes my business very challenging because I don't spend five minutes with my patients. I spend much longer. And as, as I grow that that's, there's lots of challenges, which we can talk about from a reimbursement standpoint and making the business make sense. And do the insurance companies really want to support me or are they setting up roadblocks to keep me from really intervening on these people's lives in a meaningful way? You know, these are all questions I ask myself every day. Uh, but for sure, my way of breaking through to people is giving them all these different options of like, hey, there's this beautiful life you can live. All you have to do is do it. And here, here's a list of you know, nutrition approaches. Here's a list of exercise strategies. Here's a list of books. Here's a list of podcasts. Hey, by the way, this is my favorite book. This is my favorite podcast. This is what I do. This is how I make myself feel better. And, and I think it doesn't get everyone, but it inspires a lot of people. And I think in a way, that's what you do, Sean. You show us a lifestyle that is living life to your fullest. That's what I see when I follow you. And since I've been kind of engaged in your world as a guy who, who's taken life by the horns. Well, yeah, by the cow. <laughs> and really, <laughs> and really, uh, and really, you know, like taking control of their life. And it is inspiring. I'm, I'm a lot younger than you, but I hope to be in that kind of position in life that you're in right now. And um, I try to kind of, um, reflect that when I'm with my patients, like, Hey, you can also be vibrant. <laughs> you can also feel great without the donut. Like you can. And I think for some people, they just need to hear that. They need to see that when everything on TV is have your bowl of Cheerios and everything will be okay. It, there's not a lot of other options. And a lot of the general, you know, education that happens like on more popular TV shows, it's, 
it's stuff that doesn't work, right? It's stuff that makes them hungry. He, salads and again, these nutrient poor foods, like they don't, they don't work for people. And so, yeah, they get stuck. And um, all I, all we can do is be an inspiration for people and really share our story. And that's what I try to do in my clinic every day. How much uh, deep prescribing do you do? I mean, I, that, I mean, it's got to, it's got to feel good to you to get people off medications. I mean, are you, are you is that a significant part of your practice? It is. It is. Um, the challenge comes when you have patients that have serious chronic disease, right? So I do a ton of deep prescribing on patients that are, have things like aspirin and statins and PPIs and various drugs for, for primary prevention. So what does that mean for everyone listening? It's you don't have heart disease. You don't have a stroke. You we're just, Oh, your LDL was high. They put on a statin, right? Those kind of medication management things that people come to me with. I'm aggressively prescribed because that's a no brainer. It gets tricky when you get people with who's had a heart attack and an MI and it, and it is tricky because there are recommendations and I have contracts with insurance companies and there's a certain level of care expectation and where, where can I, where do I draw that line becomes really challenging. I'd love your input on that. Like what do you do with, with your patients on that level? But um, I have a, of specialists, a cardiologist, one cardiologist, one nephrologist, uh, one endocrinologist that I've met so far in my area that get what, what I'm doing and they support me. And, uh, but for the most part, if I have a patient with like real kidney disease or real heart disease and I try to do minor manipulations and then they go back to their specialist, I get a lot, I catch a lot of heat and we end up going back and forth. So I, I'm careful. Um, but certainly people that are otherwise healthy or don't have serious, serious disease, I'm pulling drugs. I'm pulling drugs and I'm replacing them with nutrition. I'm replacing them with appropriate supplementation. Um, it's a big part of my practice. And, and what's happening more and more as I'm getting into the public eye are people coming to me seeking that because so few physicians understand that you can do that. You can just stop. That's that. You don't need it. It's not going to kill you. And it's probably doing more harm than good. You know, we know that. I don't, I don't even think this is like a controversial concept, but a lot of doctors are, are very scared to do things like that. Yeah. It almost sounds like a lot of the people you're working with, you're seeing coming in, they kind of more or less back themselves into a corner through, through nutrition. And then they found themselves getting prescribed medication to kind of remedy the side effects of that poor nutrition. So then they come to you. It's less about saying, Oh, here's a, a diseased individual that I'm going to holistically heal it's more like, here's a person who their first problem was what they were consuming. Now let's fix that and see, and if we do that, then we'll, we'll remedy that second step that had already been taken by them and their, their previous practitioner that put them on whatever medication they maybe were on. Yeah. I mean, people, and also convincing people that you're not sick. <laughs> You know, a lot of people will come to me and they're a little heavy, their cholesterol is high. They don't even have high blood pressure, but someone told them it was high. And because uh, we, we, we classically over diagnose that syndrome. Um, and, and it's this idea of you go to a doctor and you are provided sick care. And Sean, you alluded to this earlier. Like we, we're trained. I'm, I was trained to take care of sick people and make them less sick. Not, I don't, I'm not trained to make them healthy. I'm not trained to optimize them or improve their human performance. I'm trained to make them less sick. 
Uh, I, I always often say 90% of my job, uh, especially in the hospital is palliative, like palliation of whatever is going on. So convincing someone that they can change their lives and that they're not sick, they're just inducing disease by eating really horrible stuff uh, is half the battle. Uh, a lot of people know, uh, most people I really honestly feel understand that the, the pharmaceutical industry and the way we push drugs uh, and, and prescribe drugs on a daily basis is probably not the best approach to human health. Um, but convincing someone that they don't need them and that they're not sick is often the challenge. And I think in, in the world of, you know, just general medicine, primary care medicine, but also especially mental health, there's this idea that there is something wrong with you that, that on a biological level, on a hormonal level, and, and you need these drugs to do better. And so much of what I do is like, there's nothing wrong with you. You just need to live a lifestyle that is consistent with the human animal that you are. And you don't need all this other bullshit. Um, that's, that's tricky. And so th that's where, uh, you know, I think some of the, the, human, the human stories, the transformational stories, that's a place where documentaries do come into play because they can show people what it's like to transform. And, and they can show people what, it's, what, 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 this, what this American sort of Western lifestyle does to you and what a dramatic lifestyle change can do for you. And... Um, you know, at least in my clinic, people are opening up to it. Um, I, yeah, I even have look, guys, I even have a bunch of vegan patients. And I'm just I'm open to it. And I steer them in the right direction. And we talk about healthy protein and fat. And it's really like exciting. Um, so it's happening. Slow one patient at a time, at least in my clinic. And, and I think what you guys are doing with your, you know, with your, uh, your book and, and the, the, the podcast, it's, it's helping people. It's helping a lot of people. All right, folks, this episode of Human Performance Outliers podcast is brought to you by ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a meat delivery company that brings you high quality beef, chicken, pork, salmon, and scallops. What does this mean? All products are natural and humanely raised or sustainably wild caught, as is the case with their salmon and scallops. If you are concerned with how the animals you eat were raised, rest assured, ButcherBox partners with farmers who are inspired by Dr. Temple Grandin, a member of the Humane Farm Animal Care Program's scientific committee. Their beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished. The chicken is organic and the pork is heritage breed with no added sugar. So head over to butcherbox.com and place an order today and don't forget to enter promo code HPO for a discount. Thank you for supporting one of our longstanding sponsors. Now, back to the show. Yeah, Gary, I mean, I, I think one of the problems, you know, for both patients, the general public, public and, 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 and physicians, is that our nutrition science is just, I mean, it's just awful science. It's not really science. I just published, uh, I didn't say I published, I just you know, kind of talked about a study that came out 2018. It was looking at, you know, the review of all the, all the, the nutritional epidemiology. And it, it, it just basically says it's just a big pile of garbage. Shit. I mean, it's yeah. what it is. And, and we've got, you know, we've got physicians and everybody else influenced by this stuff. And it's just, it's so frustrating because we're like, we, you know, we're trying to make heads or tails out of what's the best dietary regimen to, 
to recommend for patients, but we don't have any data. We don't really have any credible data that we can utilize. And I think that's what a lot of people don't understand. Um, and, and so then we've, we've got these, you know, what I think are very powerful anecdotes and people criticize that for not being scientific, but at the same time, the science we have is not particularly scientific. And so you're kind of like, where do you, you know, where do you go? And, and I, you know, that's one of the things I've, and I certainly have been widely criticized for, for promoting anecdotes, but I mean, certainly many of the uh, initial medical discoveries and, and, and were based many. on you know, patient observations. And I mean, I think we forget that. I mean, I'm sure like Sir William Osler would be rolling over in his grave right now the way we practice medicine, because we don't even, we, we've kind of outsourced our diagnostic skills to the lab or to, we just don't even think, you know, we just don't even look at the patients hardly anymore. I mean, it's, I mean, we do a little bit, but I mean, it's become such a, you know, listening to our patients, you know, listening to their stories is, is just kind of like the, the, the thing you do to fill out the S part of the soap note. And, and she I mean, got it. And I mean, the rest of it is like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, get through that so I can get my coding done so I can check my whatever, seven of these and eight, you know, 13 review of systems crap so we can fill, have, make the coders happy. But we, that's all just filling in the blocks. We're not really doing anything with that while we're, we're waiting for the, the good part. You know, let, let, me, let me get my drug, let me get my, my diagnostic study done out of the way so I can give you whatever drug you need and get you out the door. That is what medicine has devolved to, and it's a damn shame, I think. And so much, I mean, look, all the fiber recommendations are based on observational studies that have been disproven. People don't acknowledge that. You know, it, it frustrates me when, you know, the argument it becomes around, well, the, the most, you know, reputable doctor in this world from Harvard, he suggests this and, oh, the consensus guidelines are, you know, eat this much fiber and have this much protein. It's like, but they're wrong. Why are we talking about this? We know they're wrong. We know that it's based on epidemiological evidence that's not good. And we know that the science that we is coming out suggests that everything that we've been recommending is bad. And we don't really even need that because we have a population of humans that are getting sicker and sicker. And it's not surprising when I say this, everyone sees it, obesity rates, diabetes rates, cancer, everything's going up it's it's bad and it's and it's clearly a disease of lifestyle um and so we've been giving the same lifestyle recommendations for decades and decades and so when people in in this world are arguing oh you're using anecdotes and you, here's this double blind placebo control study i'm like let go of that shit let go of that shit and look at the history of humanity look at ourselves as 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 animals look at the anthropology look at the anatomy look at all the stuff and realize that we have devolved and we have taken old archaic ideas and ingrained them so deep in our psyche that the idea that breakfast is the most important meal of the day is, was made up by a food company. Yeah, it's true, everyone. Like, that's true. Let go of these archaic ideas. Let's move forward and learn how to live a better life. That's the whole point of the information age, all this technology we have, all this communication, the ability for us to have long form conversations and share them with all these people, like listen to each other and stop listening and leaning on these organizations that are anchored in just, just nonsense. I'm sorry, it's nonsense. And I think it's hard for people to say that it's hard to take that position because you know, you're poo pooing a lot of organizations and people that have done a lot of good, but Ask yourself, have they done a lot of good? People are getting sicker. Like we, metabolic disease is taking over the country. Cancer rates are going up and we need to change our approach, you know? And so rather than 
being aggressively criticizing a doctor who suggests that an all meat diet is bad or is really good for you, excuse me. Uh, why not open your mind, listen to him, read his book, have a nice conversation and learn from him, you know, instead of, I know you caught so much heat and it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, certainly I've got my, <laughs> I've certainly got no, no shortage of detractors, I can tell you that. But, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I, I get, literally, I get, I mean, I just got a message from another physician, a cardiothoracic surgeon, said, hey, man, I'm on your diet and I'm the best I've ever felt. What can I do to help? So we're seeing more and more physicians that are like, they're, they're using common sense. They're like stepping back and saying, look, um, you know, I know there's a study that says the sky is red, but I can actually go outside and look and see it's blue. And I, and I mean, it's, you know, we, we've kind of gotten to where we've gotten this point where, well, I need to study to tell me the sky is blue. You know, at some point you got to say, look, this is, this is obvious. I mean, there's people that are 20, 30 years lifelong dependent upon drugs or some chronic condition and it's going away and we, 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 we dismiss them. We don't believe it. Oh, it must be dismiss something them. else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, 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 you know, and, and at some point, you know, and like, like I said, that's why I've been very meticulous about, collecting these stories and, and now we've got you know thousands of these things and it's just like at what at what level do we continue to ignore these and i, I think it's uh, uh well i mean I, I i don't want to be conspiratorial i mean but i but i think there is a a, a certainly a an interest in keeping the status quo and I, there's a lot of money to be made on sick people and there's a lot of money to be made on cheap highly refined foods i mean that's clear and there's people that did that they control a lot of what we read and see and hear in media uh that, that don't want this sort of message to get out and they don't want to see people get healthy. I, I hate to say that. I hate to be so sort of pessimistic, but I think there's people that would rather we have a sick populace as long as they can make a lot of profit from that. And I think that's, I don't think that's, uh, you know, unbelievable. I don't even think it's much of a conspiracy. I think when you, when I bring this up to people, um, a lot of patients, they all agree, they get it. I, I think that people are, becoming aware of what, what's happening with the population and, and how it's connected to the food system. And, um, you know, the thing that I've, that's alarming to me is how much disagreement we have. So I'm sitting there promoting a whole foods based, uh, low carbohydrate diet that's focused on animal foods and intermittent fasting. That's what the sapien diet is. And I have a patient, I've told this story before, but it's, it's a great one. He comes to me. Uh, I, you know, I change a lot of his meds. I get him off like Warfarin, put him on like newer meds. We get him real teed up. We put him on this kind of diet. He actually moves towards a carnivore diet after I introduced him to you. And he, his diabetes goes away. He literally goes away. A1C from eight to 5.4. Uh, get him down to just a little bit of low dose metformin, which he wanted to keep on for longevity reasons, not for uh, blood glucose reasons. And anyway, we're there. He goes to his cardiologist and his cardiologist goes, hey, this is all great, but you need a new primary care doctor. This is a, not a good nutrition plan. And lo and behold, I look her up. I'm not going to mention names, but I look her up and she's got a book called The Vegan Cardiologist or something <laughs> like that. I, I don't want to quote it again. You guys could probably, anyway. I, I mean, that's alarming that <laughs> that I have this strategy that's, that's helping people and, and a cardiologist has a book that completely is on the whole opposite side of what I'm suggesting. So, so clearly something is wrong <laughs> with our education system and with our understanding about nutrition. Um, and, and just the fact that her, you know, the response wasn't, hey, 
cool, let's work together. Let me reach out to the doctor. Let's learn from each other. The response is get a new primary care doctor. I'm right. He's wrong. Like we, we should be a bit more mature than that. We should be more open-minded for sure. And we should not be so anchored in our old ideas. Um, you know, you bring up this money of uh, this, this issue of people making money. I worry that, you know, there's so much money in this plant-based movement, this vegan movement. It's so sexy to talk about that people write books and they have products and they'll just never let go because of the, while well, the money's there, they're going to money grab. And, you know, I, I've heard people comment, you know, to people like you, about people like you, other people in our community that, oh, it's a money grab. What we're doing is not a money grab. There's not a lot of money in promoting meat and promoting whole foods. There's money in promoting processed foods and plants. And that's a problem. It should be much more balanced than that. And why there's not more support for what we're suggesting, this comes back to the question of, is it a conspiracy or is it just horrible, a horrible system that's unwilling to change? I don't know, but I'll tell you what, what we're doing helps people, it heals people. You could stop autoimmunity in its tracks, right? We see that all the time. I wish someone would pay for these studies, but it's very expensive. And, um, you know, all we can do is just keep, you know, writing books and, and spreading the word and sharing our stories. And man, I, I can't, I can't tell you how frustrated I was. The story I'm telling about it, it happened. This is one, like it, I've told this story before that thing with the cardiologist is happening almost on a weekly basis. I get these really profound and my patients go to their cardiologist and the cardiologist push so hard. And why, like why the cardiologist? I wonder if it's because they have an inject new injectable that makes them a lot of money that drops people's LDL. And if they listen to what we were saying, then that strategy makes no sense. You know what I'm saying, Chan? Like there's so much in that world of heart care that is opposite of what we're doing that I wonder, are they really in the business of keeping people like sick, but alive? I don't know. <laughs> it, it worries me to no end. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the pro another one of the problems with medicine, and I was just as good as any. I was a specialist. I was, a, I was, a, you know, orthopedic surgeon. I focused on your joints. I mean, I, I was a general orthopedic surgeon, so I had a little bit more, you know, general orthopedic stuff. But I mean, there's so, such ultra specialists now, and cardiologists view everything myopically through everything is about the heart, and you know, obviously they're they're very much not all of them, but many of them are are into this diet heart hypothesis, you know, and, and we've got to get your LDL as low as possible you know, who cares if you have neurocognitive problems, who cares if you have other issues? I mean, this is what a lot I, of this, other is, issues. this is the, this is the metric by which I, um, am re, you know, my, my outcomes are based on you not having a heart attack. And I know if I can get your cholesterol to zero, uh, you might not have a heart attack and, you know, maybe your quality of life sucks and maybe you, maybe you have dementia or, or whatever. And you die early. And you die earlier, but you didn't <laughs> you know, have a heart like... attack. And so I get my, so I, so I get, I've done my job. And I think we have to say, wait a minute, let's talk about quality of life. Let's talk about what does the patient want? You know, we know when we look at outcome measures, when we look at any of these medical outcome data, and we look at objective measures that we think are valid, you know, what was their LDL? What was their, what was their, you know, hemoglobin A1C score? But when we look at what patients want, what patients care about, they're, they're often not aligned. They're like, you know, you, you know, you, you, you see that you see it all the time. You have a patient that's, that's miserable, but Hey man, I got great LDL or whatever metric want to look at. And you're like, well, you know, Hey, on the lab values, you look pretty good. So I've done my job. You know, I can check that, check that box off and get a pat on the backs from the, uh, 
you know, uh, Medicare, whoever, whoever is paying, paying for yeah. the bills. But, but at the end of the day, the patient's like, well, I, you know, I don't feel very good. I don't, you know, and, and then oftentimes they get it dismissed as you're just a weird patient. You know, you're, you're it's psychosomatic. It's psychosomatic. You know, you're the, the fact that you have chronic malaise and fatigue and everything hurts, that's because you're just a, you're just a psychopath. And, and I did, you know, honestly, when I was practicing, I'd see those patients. I was like, man, I can't help you. You're, you know, it's all in your head. Lose some damn weight, whatever, you know, you kind of, you kind of get jaded because you're just, you're just kind of like, but now you kind of realize that, wait a minute, if I did, maybe we could have, we could have taken more time and delved into lifestyle, which I don't have time for, by the way, I've got yeah. four minutes to see a patient. I, I, the system is just not set up for us to thrive or, or for patients to thrive. And so I, I, that's why I have kind of stepped back from that. I, I'm what I, what I, what I, you know, what I refer to this as a disease management industry. I'm kind of going into the what I call the health creation business, and so that's what you know. We start cool. our, our own website, MeetRx, and we've got health coaches that train people on diet and lifestyle. And I think for the general population as chronic disease, that is going to be a better. They're going to get a better outcome through that through that metric. You know, they might need support of their physician, but I think you know I don't know that the healthcare system can be. You know, it's inextricably you know, bound up with the pharmaceutical industries and that, that, you know, all the CME, as you know, is often pharmaceutical, uh, uh, you know, driven, it's, it's paid for, funded by, presented by pharmaceutical industries or doctors, rep, you know, that are basically working for the pharmaceutical the reps, industry. the, the yeah. reps too. And so it's like, no, I'm saying you, the doctors are reps, right? Like yeah, on yeah, some yeah. level, right? Right. I mean, you, when you go, when you get an MD, you are working for a pharmaceutical company. Yeah. You're, you're an independent contractor for a pharmaceutical company, whether you like it or not, or whether you know it or not. That's what you're, that's what you're doing. I mean, I, I didn't prescribe a lot of medicines. I was prescribing an antibiotics and pain pills. And, and that's about it as an orthopedic guy. We don't have, a, we don't, we don't do a lot of meds, but I mean, but, but almost every patient I had, you know, if I did surgery on them, I gave them pain pills. If I, if I do surgery on them, I was giving a pre-op antibiotic. And so I am, you know, I, I'm, I'm basically working for these guys, but now I'm not doing that anymore. And I, and it feels, and, you know, even though I get paid a lot, hell of a lot less, I feel a lot better about what I'm doing, which is yeah. good. Yeah, the reimbursement and like it certainly seems like the insurance companies are not really trying to have these lifestyle modifications. There, there's, you know, I'll I'll spend time with someone. I'll bill an extra code that's they they have generated some codes that say hey for lifestyle counseling. They'll refuse that code oftentimes and then send me a letter saying why is this person not on a statin and aspirin? Like, is that really your job, insurance company? Of what of how to manage medicine manage my patients i think they really they don't want us to think for ourselves they want us to follow their regimens follow their protocols fall in line and i think that's pushing a lot of doctors like myself out of the health insurance world um, what that does is leaves us to provide for those that have the means to pay for us which sucks because those people generally have better health outcomes anyway because they have more resources so the system is setting it up so that the rich and and capable or the rich and uh, people that have the resources they can get healthier and the poor people or people that don't have as many means that have to get the health insurance they get the standard medical care and they get sick that worries me because that's further separating like the you know the 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 wealthy from the not wealthy. And I, I really don't like that. I think everyone should get a fair shot at being healthy. Um, it's, it, I wonder, I wonder if really that's why the nutrition education isn't in 
medical school because if it were there, so many smart people would say, yeah, I'm not going to prescribe these drugs. I'm out. I'm, 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 I'm a lifestyle doctor. And so they, they just keep it out of the curriculum. Literally less than four hours of education and nutrition for over 12 years of education, 14 years of education. How is that? How is that a thing? You know, how did I have to read the big fat surprise to learn about LDL cholesterol? Like what? You know, so it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting situation. I find myself, I was really idealistic when I started my training and now I'm idealistic in a very different way. And I, but it also puts me in a compromised situation. You know, I'm, I have a, carry a lot of exposure and, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the future of my practice. I always thought I'd practice for decades and decades. And now I'm like, well, I'm going to do my best with Evolve Healthcare. I'm going to really push my, my way, but maybe I have to pivot and I have to, you know, become more of like a, you know, health coach type doctor, right. Where I, where it's for cash and it's not insurance based. Cause yeah, the coding, like, like you suggested all, all the checking boxes and, and addressing all these things, it's suffocating. And I, you know, I at least have my own practice, so I, I play the game and I can do my thing, but within the confines of the environment they've had. But if, if for most doctors, you know, that are employed by a major health organization, they don't have any freedom and they're literally just following protocol. And can you, you know, for those of you who aren't physicians, imagine going through all this training, you learn all this, and then you literally become a robot. It's demoralizing. So many doctors are miserable. And this is, I think, the heart of it. Why is there such high burnout? It's not just working hard. It's, 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 it's being trapped in a system that does not let you to practice medicine. And that's really sad. I, I see so many sad physicians around me. Well, it seems to me that like, to a degree, at least they've kind of taken the power out of the hands of the physicians. And, you know, when you do that, then you're, I mean, I mean, I'm not a physician. I didn't go to medical school or anything like that, but I could imagine if I had spent that much time and energy receiving that degree, I would want to have a certain amount of, of, uh, you know, decision-making capabilities because, you know, you are kind of the quote unquote expert to a degree within your field anyway. So like, you know, when I see that, like the power getting taken away from the physicians and then you see things like statistics, uh, like that study that came out of UNC Chapel Hill, where they reported 88% of Americans have some form of metabolic syndrome. It's like, well, yeah, of course, you just took the power out of the hands of the people who are supposed to actually help and put it in the hands of, you know, drug companies and other places like that. And now you're going to have a situation like that, that shouldn't come to a big surprise, like, you know, 88% shouldn't be as surprising as it as it ends up being, when you look at the lay of the land. Yeah, I, I mean, the, 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 I would say by far, 88 is not even surprising to me. Everyone who comes to my clinic has metabolic disorder. And, um, and this isn't even talking about, there's other issues here, you know, vitamin deficiencies, because people don't spend any time in the sun. Uh, people's guts are broken because they've been eating crappy food and they can't absorb things and their, their gut microbiome is thrown off. We're just learning about these things. And in, when I talk to my colleagues about it, that practice general Western medicine, they think that's foo-foo nonsense. It's not real in their world until it's been supported by, by these powerful studies that are supported by drug and food companies. 
Well, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I, I do think that people have a desire to be healthy. I think people have a thirst and they're, and they're becoming very, very aware of how they're being manipulated. Um, I don't think that makes it easier to not be manipulated, but I do think that that makes people thirsty for knowledge. And that's what, where this kind of community is growing from, you know? Yeah. And I think like, I think you're right. I think people real. I mean, it doesn't take like if, if I'm, if I feel miserable and I'm overweight, like I don't, I'm not, a, I don't to be a rocket science to realize things aren't going well. So then the next step is like, well, what do I do about it? And I think like when it comes back to what we were talking about before then, and then you decide to look. And when you decide to look, you see like a lot of the, you know, just this is, you know, all the demonization of one approach and then the, you know, glorification of another approach and the one size fits all is the way to do this. And then people get more and more confused, I think, or they don't know where to go or they will go one direction, but not do it long enough because then they get led to another direction. And it's like, it seems, it seems like, uh, with that landscape, people almost need, need a little bit more of a clear, a clear message, but a clear message with some options. So they have something to work with that kind of fits their, fits their lifestyle. And it, it seems like, like it would be more, make more sense to have like a nutri- nutritionists maybe be kind of the front line of defense with some of this stuff so that they don't find themselves going to, going to their primary care doctor, you know, with all these, these issues in the first place and then have, you know, a four minute sit down with them. They get, they get the, try to take care of it with a, you know, a, a nutrition based approach first. And then and if, you know, if they are one of the, are a scenario where they actually need something outside of that or some extra help, then they find themselves with the experts within that field. Does that make sense? Or am I off? Yes. Yeah. No, no, I'm with you. I, but you have to re-educate the nutritionist. Right. So mm-hmm. much of the pushback that I've gotten is from nutritionists and they, they've been taught what they've been taught. And when I say, Hey, this is, this is what I believe. And here's the evidence to support it. The answer is, well, I, I was trained to do, do it like this. This is how I'm going to do it. And mm-hmm. so there's that issue. And then furthermore, I mean, you mentioned like four minutes with the doctor. What if we just paid our primary care doctors more? That would make primary care a more desirable path, which a lot of uh, my colleagues don't do that because of, of the financial issues there. Uh, pay them more and to give them more time with patients and give them some freedom, like put power back into the hands of doctors. Um, I think that that's my dream. That's like a, a very much a, an idea that a lot of people talk about, but I, I think that's really the solution. You know, people are like, oh, how do you fix healthcare? You, you, you focus on preventative care by supporting physicians. And I think that physicians are good hearted people that really do want to help, but you have to create a system of incentives that will let them help people. And if it's, if it's, if people are drowning in coding and documenting and worry, and there's so much fear mongering on all fronts. And so we really have to take that, that fear away and educate people that, Hey, there are different approaches. And if you're ketogenic, you're not going to die. You're not going to have kidney failure. You're not going to have stomach problems. This is a real nutritional approach. Um, I mean, I've gotten into arguments with colleagues about, Hey, is ketogenic therapy a real thing? I'm like, how can we even have this argument that it's a real thing? This is, it's in the literature, like it's here, but they've been fear mongered year after year after year after year. It's very hard to separate them. So yeah. Do you, I, I was just going to say, do you think half the problem when you're getting, you know, kick, kickback or not kickback, but uh, you're getting, uh, you know, resistance from the nutritionists is because when they go to school, 
and learn they're given a one size fits all approach so that they're kind of pushed into this narrow minded, this narrow minded versus let's individualize this for every, every specific person based on what they're looking for. Yeah, hey, Zach, hey, Gary, before you jump in, I unfortunately have to jump away, guys. You guys can keep, keep, keep the thing going because I know there's a lot of stuff in from there. But I thank you so much for being on, Gary. Um, Thanks, Sean. You guys keep talking. I've cool. unfortunately got to jump away, though, okay? All right, Sean. It's a pleasure, man. <laughs> okay, guys. Yeah, so, I mean, look, I think with the, with the, when it comes to the nutritionists, they're not taught the history of, of, of all this stuff. Something that was empowering to me was learning how did a lot of the recommendations get developed? Where did they come from? You know, how did our ideas come to be? And I think if, if you give people a more broad education on nutrition, nutritionists, dietitians, all healthcare providers, then you give them the power to make decisions on their own. I think that they teach them not just a one size fits approach, but they also don't teach them the whole story, right? Mm -hmm. They just teach them a little bit, just enough. And then they leave with this degree or with the certification thinking that they're an expert. And I'm sorry, you're not an expert. If the only thing you know is a well-balanced diet full of heart healthy grains, like you're not an expert. You're, you just know one thing. And to become an expert, you need to spend 10,000 hours, as, as you know, Gladwell explained. And, and that requires a very broad approach to, to nutrition and healthcare. And um, I don't think that that's something that's really encouraged. Um, and and that's probably like a big factor in why people are so closed-minded is they don't encourage them to learn outside of this. So it implies that this is the only way. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Yeah, you know, what you said makes sense. I think like, when I think about this stuff, I, I envision like a scenario that um, I'd like to hear your critique of this because I'm sure there's issues with it. But um, like if you had a situation where like the, the nutritionists were less of like, okay, we're going to preach uh, this, you know, the, the food pyramid or whatever the, most, the, the recommended like pr- approach is. And they, they sit down with people and just kind of help teach each individual kind of basic understanding of nutrition from like, you know, macronutrient breakdowns to like what foods are kind of superior for certain things and kind of teach them to kind of mix and match. And then they can have like, you know, a situation where they are looking at, okay, now here's some approaches, some lifestyle approaches that have been shown to be, to be useful for other folks in the past. And you can be as wide of range as, as we would want from maybe from vegan all the way to carnivory and then everything in between, and then help, help that person identify what's going to be the easiest for them to implement and adhere to. And at that point, if you could have like a second layer of people who are specialists within those other categories, so you yeah. could have like your vegan expert, you could have your carnivore expert, you could have your nutrivore expert and all these other approaches. And then once they identify, this is the one that I think I can stick to. This is the one that I think will, will be rewarding for me long-term that I'm not going to just bail on in a year then they can go to the person who can really do the deep dive with them and get them on track and keep in touch with them and make sure they're, they're not falling off and not kind of losing, losing momentum, so to speak. Fantastic idea. A multidisciplinary approach where the front line educates you on the basic science of it all and how it all works and then steers you in the right direction where someone can really get into the nitty gritty. Yeah, man, I, I Let's do it. <laughs> like, I think that's really important, but I, I don't think that's the role of nutritionists and dietitians at this time. 
you know, that, that's no. not, that's not how they operate. That's not how they think. I, I tried to bring in um, this really bright lady into my, pro- into my practice when I first started doing all this. And she's, she heard me on the whole food stuff. She heard me on a lot of it when it came down to it. And I had a diabetic and I said, stop recommending grains and sugar. Like just stop. They're diabetic. Just don't do it. She couldn't do it. She couldn't like, she couldn't accept it. Like, I don't want them to, I don't want them to consume that stuff at all. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that we can reverse this. She, it was too much uh, in opposition to what she was taught. Sure. So I think the, the curriculums need to change. Um, the, the whole thinking on this stuff needs to change. Um, that, that's why this even exists, right? Is, is that it's, it's, we need people like Sean and you and, and, and me to really stand up against the status quo. Will it change the, the system as a whole? I don't know, but at least people have options now. When I was in medical school, the, people, this didn't exist. These resources didn't exist. I didn't, there was no way. I mean, you'd really have to be lucky enough to, to find the right you know, educator or find the right book or find the right, uh, you know, there wasn't any documentaries about this stuff at all back then. So, uh, you know, I, I think that the resources out there, but as far as changing how nutritionists operate and how people work, we got to incentivize the whole system for to be healthy instead of sick. And um, I don't know how that's going to work. You know, that's a really tricky one. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see where everything goes in the next few years. Cause it's, you know, everything is a lot different nowadays too. It's like, even in the last decade, now your access to being able to find resources and, you know, good and bad are very, very yeah. available to most people, especially in, you know, first world countries. So it's the landscape is changing so fast. I think, that offers up opportunities for us to switch the structure around in a rapid enough pace to have yeah. a meaningful effect and even the relative short term. But, you know, it's also, there's a lot of, uh, you know, people will dig, dig into the ground or dig into the sand up quite a bit as well, I think, and try to keep things the way it is, especially if they're satisfied with the thing, way things are going. And it's such an overwhelming amount of information coming at people. I often mm-hmm. tell my patients that like my job is to be a filter. I'm not even here to promote just carnivore or just my sapien approach. It's just, I'm here to filter all this information for you and answer questions, you know, because I do think there's a, you know, a war of information going on and it's hard for people to know what to believe and what not to believe. Um, I think that's why people look to us to, to kind of give them guidance. So, you know, with the, but with all the prevalence of all this information, does it really help or hurt? I think it confuses a lot of people. I think bright people that are super motivated or people that have been super miserable and whatever approach they've had then come after the new information. But I think for the general public, I think there is more confusion than there is like understanding Mm -hmm. because the way the information is presented is so um, lateralized or like it's so one, this is right or that's right. And and again, it just, it it comes back to these, you know, this game changers thing are these people that are infighting, you know, plants versus animals and stuff. It's like, no, there's, there's a bigger picture here. There is a healthy approach that we all agree on. And so let's not fight. Let's educate. Let's share our thoughts rather than a debate. We should have like a panel. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. You know what I'm referring to the, the, the recent, yeah, well, everyone knows. And my, my point is it shouldn't be a debate. It should be an education panel so that people can use it as a resource instead of two people that essentially agree on 90% of stuff going to war at each other for 10%. Yeah. <laughs> for, for 10% for the 10%. That, and it's like, uh, 
it's a marker to, it's actually a really big red flag to me of how people are even really smart. People are really, like you said, trying to dig in and plant their flag instead of being open-minded and saying, wow, we have more information than we've ever have. Let's learn from each other. Let's, let's, let's be dynamic humans with our own brains. Instead, it's, this is my camp. Mm -hmm. A lot of this comes back to tribalism. You know, we lack real human connections and I think people look for their tribe. I think that's, you know, the carnivore thing is a tribe. For sure. The, uh, the vegan thing is a tribe. If you're like a UCLA football fan, that football fan, that's your tribe. But like people are latching onto this and it, it really does come back to this. Like, how do you make yourself feel better in a world that's becoming increasingly disconnected and increasingly like fake, right? The food's fake. The lifestyles are fake. You're staring at screens that aren't natural. So people... Uh, lack the sense of community or tribe, however you want to call it. So, so these nutrition groups or, or anything, they, they latch onto it and they hold onto it. So I do think that the, you know, that complicates the matter. So mm -hmm. instead of a tribe of people that are just trying to be healthy and trying to find the best approach for them, it becomes my tribe is the, you know, the sapien tribe. And while I love, I love the momentum that we're all gaining we all like need to come together and say, we want to be healthier and we want to help each other and support each other. And mm -hmm. I, I, it's happening. It is happening, but there's also a lot of fighting and arguing and just debate and battle. And I, and I wish that, you know, I hope that as, as the, you know, as the wave of, you know, understanding about food grows, that people start coming together more and it, being a team and not so, at odds over nonsense over oh a little bit of meat a lot of meat yeah like you're <laughs> like you're an animal you're supposed to eat meat let, let let's go of that you know like it, you don't need to just argue it about it for the sake of arguing let's let's find commonalities and let's let's mm -hmm. support each other oh man i i don't know i i know i keep echoing that debate but it, it pissed me off so much because it became this war between two guys about nothing right and and then I have patients calling me, hey, so, so did this guy win? So should I, should I avoid? It's like, what? Is the, are you this fickle? Is your idea about food this fickle that one debate about nothing changes your mind? Like, it, it, it can't be that, that, that weak, this, this, these connections. And we need to build and build and build so people really feel comfortable taking care of themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, the biggest issue I saw with the, the Wilkes-Cresser debate on Rogan was, well, for one, it was a debate. So, and I think, I think going into it, it was already going to be a little cringy because it was a debate as to whether Chrisser was accurate in his representation of Wilkes stances. So we're not even diving into whether Wilkes is right or wrong at that point. Right. We're just, we're just arguing about semantics of whether Wilkes was willingly deceiving people or if he was actually accurate with what he said in some capacity. So that was already a bad start in my opinion. So then you end up have, have happening then is you get this small segment of the population that is like super pro vegan excited because they're like Wilkes just spanked Cresser around. It was domination. And then they're going to scream to the, to the top of their lungs on social media about that. Then you're going to get the folks on the opposite end of the spectrum who will just say, oh, it was dirty pool. You know, Wilkes was using shady tactics. He was diverging. He was blah, 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 this, that, and the other thing. And then you get the majority of people in between who walk away focusing on the wrong stuff. So it's like nobody really wins at the end of the day with that. And uh, 
Um, I think if there's a silver lining behind it all, it's like hopefully people are listening to folks who can actually maybe articulate that for what it was and then realize, oh, okay, so that's not the way we should look into this stuff. And then hopefully come away with a little more insight or at least maybe interest in looking into things in a little more meaningful way versus, you know, the, the, the argumentative type of stuff that we saw on that. Absolutely. And I, and I think it did more to confuse people than anything else. And I, and then I wonder to myself, maybe that was the point. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe know. that was the point. Like, <laughs> you know, you went like if, if there's a predominance of this plant-based movement and you go on there and you take, the, you do these like argumentative tactics that don't really have anything to do with the, what we're really talking about. You confuse everyone. You've won. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you, you don't have to win or lose. You just have to confuse everyone. People that are confused make poor decisions. Mm-hmm. And, and that leads to, um, you know, continuation of what we currently have rather than changing the paradigm. So, you know, um, I don't know. I, I, I would love a chance to go on there as a medical doctor and really support, you know, meat and, and, uh, and whole foods diet that includes meat and talk about how it's meaningful to the population instead of debating what words were used. And sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> maybe one day, maybe one day, I think I, you know, I think Joe would be open to it. And I bring it up too, because that podcast like this podcast, but that podcast specifically is incredibly powerful, moving the dial on people's perception of things. We'll look back in history and that is going to be a big game changer in how people accrue information. Mm-hmm. He really opened the door to these long form discussions and and I, I really think that that that's a platform for everyone. I mean, obviously, you know, with, with Sean's success and your success, a lot of that comes from Joe's influence. And I think that that should not be underestimated or understated. And I hope he realizes that, that how many humans he is affecting. It's very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, I think he's aware of his reach. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's, it's like we were talking about before. It's just the who would have thought 10 years ago that, you know, that would even be a, an option for people. And now it's like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's akin to, you know, getting in a prime time spot on, on one of the, the big networks for, you know, two plus hours in some scenarios. So it's, it's pretty interesting to see how that all kind of comes, comes through. But, you know, I had one other question for you, Gary, that I'm not sure if, if you haven't really looked into this with much detail, that's fine. You don't have to feel like you need to make a comment on it, but we had um, uh, Professor Gordon Guide on the show a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things I was in, we were interested in talking to him about was, I mean, he's the father of the grand, the, the godfather, I guess you could say, of evidence-based medicine. He coined the term, his research team coined the term. And he really made, I think, a meaningful change to how we go about things with, with his grade system. And uh, the grade system, I think, has been implemented. Uh, I, don't, I don't know a ton about it, but it's been implemented in a lot of, you know, professional settings and research settings, including nutrition now too. So the big one that's everyone's kind of talking about recently was when they put the, when they put that system in place to look at kind of the research on, on meat, it came back mm-hmm. and said, yeah, the evidence is weak at best mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. that eating meat is bad for you. And, um, you know, some people, I mean, I think especially people who really like to eat meat are excited about that. Um, and then the people who are kind of anti-meat, they are coming back and countering with the grade system is, although it's very applicable for things like pharmaceuticals, medication, and things like that, not so much for nutrition. 
And uh, we asked, we asked uh, Gordon about that. And he said it, what it, I think if I remember correctly, what he said was that it's really good for identifying whether something's weak. And that's kind of what it's done in nutrition science as a whole, since there's, and this isn't nutrition scientists fault. I'm not trying to say like, Oh, nutrition scientists just suck relative to all the other scientists out there. They've just got the hardest job because yeah. there's just so much more confounding things that are going to implement or in, impact uh, the results that they can't control or they have to try to tease out and they can't entirely tease out. And then we end up with tons of these epidemiological studies, which are just supposed to be like, question generating things that end up getting pushed out as, you know, hard evidence, mm -hmm. uh, not by them, but, uh, mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes by them, but mostly I think not by them. And, uh, yeah. So then we just kind of have this weird situation where we really can't hammer down, you know, nutrition, a nutritional approach that is like a silver bullet, so to speak, like mm -hmm. this is always going to kill you, or this is always going to be good for you, which is what I think everyone's kind of looking for. And like, what is your take on all that? Do you think grade is a good useful tool for nutrition studies or is nutrition study as a whole need to be kind of redefined maybe so that people understand what it actually is able to say versus what we want it to say? I think it's the latter. I think that we need to reimagine and re-understand nutrition science as a whole. The grading system is okay. Um, you know, I, I know about it. I think, um, I think it's a useful tool, right? But in general, um, nutrition science is very, very difficult to do. If we were to do really good studies, it would cost crap ton of money and take a very long time. And furthermore, we have so much research that's not like research studies from the last hundred years, but archeological evidence, human history evidence, mm -hmm. essentially this idea of common sense, right? A history of how things were, how, how we came to be, what we used to eat, traditional foods, what hunter-gatherer tribes eat. So I think that um, the idea of evidence-based medicine, especially with drug management and things like that, is a great idea. But I think it's been hijacked a little bit by the world of medicine. And you cannot have a double-blind placebo-control study for the stuff that you and me are talking about. So you cannot compare like evidence, even for drugs, which by the way, a lot of those studies are poorly interpreted or manipulated to, to suggest something that the drug company wants or whatever. Um, so yeah, we need to reimagine what kind of evidence is meaningful when it comes to nutrition. And it's, you know, these, these, you know, there's a new study every, every year going one way or the other, but there's a lot of common sense and there's millions of years. years of history to suggest what we should be and I of it. We rely on a study from 2018 or 2017 or some epidemiological study from the seventies or from, you know, some, some, you know, object, object uh, observational evidence from the fifties that then has been propagated for 30 years. And now we have to have a, what, a research study to disprove that. No, we need to step back and say, there is a lot of common sense here. We have millions of years of human history to look on and, and take that approach to take the approach of evolution and, um, and, and reimagine our understanding of evolutionary biology, utilize our understanding of biochemistry and actual human physiology and apply it. And, and when you do that, there's no debate about meat. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you don't yeah. need this, 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 oh, we, we looked at a, you know, I forget it. You know, there's like four meta analyses and we proved you don't need that. I mean, that's what we've created. We've created that benchmark. That's what people look for, but we don't need that to know that meat is incredibly nutritious and is the heart of the human diet. Like we, I don't need to know that. But when you create that expectation, it creates these debates over, well, is that a reasonable, you know, grade score? Uh, it's okay. It's a tool, but use your brain. You know, when, when people just eat plants and they, they develop profound nutritional deficiencies, it's pretty obvious here. So I think common sense has gone away. And I think people lean on these studies a little bit too much, especially in the world of nutrition. But even in the world of drug management, people pick and choose which studies they want to believe. We need to, we need to really question who is giving you the advice. And then whatever advice you do take, apply it to yourself as an individual. Like you brought this up in the very beginning. Everyone is different. Everyone's going to end up with a different nutrition plan. Different medications are going to affect them differently. We have no idea oftentimes how one drug will affect this person or the next. So having a big study to support that, oh, it helps a few people isn't always as powerful as people think, think, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like I I look at all research now uh, with a very questionable eye and I, and I, I try to listen to people that are not just experts, but that are living the life that are open-minded, that are transparent, that show themselves so that you know that who you're listening to is coming at it from the right perspective and not with, with other arguably, you know, with other goals in mind, like making money, like propagating some ideology, like promoting their book, whatever, right? It has to be a person that, and I think that these podcasts really expose people, right? And you, when you listen to someone who's got other motivations that aren't to help people, you can tell when they're on a podcast like this. These mm-hmm. long-form discussions are incredibly powerful in exposing people and, and, and showing people that are really passionate and really do want to help. So um, I think that you know, I refer patients to podcasts all the time. And so I think that there's, a, there's this new wave of education that's happening online through, you know, uh, through phones and through computers um, that's honestly more powerful than the education we're providing in our schools and in our institutions. And, and I, I suspect that over time, that's going to happen, that, that, that's going to change the landscape more and more. Like, I don't know if I would send my kid to public school or, or university. Like, I don't think I will, because I, I think the stuff we're teaching is, is not as quality as what you can get when you pursue the education out here in the, in the, in the internet and, and the world, but, but you have to, you have to really want to learn. Does that yeah, make sense? No. Does that answer your question? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think the, like anything, there's a lot of nuance with that stuff, with all this stuff. So it's, uh, it's cool to talk about it, but uh, Gary, um, I don't want to take up too much of your time and I have to get going pretty quick here, but I do want to uh, let our listeners know where they can find you. So if you want to share a website, social media or anything like that, yeah. feel free to do that. And we'll put it in the show notes as well. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so my, my uh, medical company is called Evolve Healthcare. You can learn all about it at evolvehealthcare.com. Um, you can make an appointment and come see me if you're in the area, if you're visiting. Um, 
I also have a company called Sapien at sapien.org. Uh, you can learn a lot about our Sapien lifestyle and our nutrition program and all the different services we offer. We offer some health coaching and we're working on our documentary film, A Food Lies. Um, you can follow me at Dr. Gary Evolve, Dr. Gary Evolve. Um, that's the main, that's my main outlet for social media. I'm on, I'm on all the others, but that's kind of where I direct people. And yeah, um, I'm doing a lot of podcasts, uh, working on a book to share my ideas and, and you guys will hear more from me and let me know what you think. I'm, I'm really excited to be on the podcast and share my ideas with, with all of your listeners. So thank you for having me on. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for coming on Gary. Have a good rest of the day. You too, bro. Hey folks, Human Performance Outliers podcast is growing and due to the growth, we are looking to take on some new sponsors. So if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience, please do not hesitate to reach out to hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.